0: So, if you've been uh, if you've been following with us over the last number of weeks, uh, you know we've been walking through the Stations of the Cross. So we did a 14-week journey through the Stations, and today uh, we shift. Uh, we're, the, the, those are, they're done. Um, but this week we we continue with the story because this is kind of like a prequel in, of sorts. Uh, it's Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is uh, when you celebrate, the, we celebrate the day that when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. Um, and he, wa- he came, it wasn't his first time to Jerusalem. We know he went uh, as a boy. Maybe he went a few other times. But this time he enters as a well-known, respected teacher. And he comes in with fanfare and celebration, right? Uh, it says that they, well, we'll get to what it says. Um, so up until this point, Jesus had been primarily touring the countryside. He'd been speaking to people, visiting synagogues, uh, which were religious learning centers, and teaching on the side of hills, and uh, to that kind of thing. This is, uh, and this moment marks a shift. It's kind of like the beginning of the end, uh, in a way. Um, Or if, yeah, the beginning of the end. And let's just, let's read Luke's account of it. Well, it's Luke 19. Uh, starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it, to me, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who... Who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, "Why are you untying that colt?" They replied, "The Lord needs it. If only that would work." <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came came near the place where the road goes down the mountain of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you eat Oh, actually, that's where we're going to end. Sorry. Never mind. Even the stones will cry out. Sorry, this is this is actually where uh, typically the story of the triumph, like when we're reading about the triumph entry, when we're celebrating Palm Sunday, this is where it ends. Uh, we kind of talk about this, this wonderful fanfare moment, right? Um, but in light of our recent journey, I find it hard to end here because... I'm left with this, this question, okay, so how do we go from, from this, this moment where uh, people are yelling, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory to him in the highest, to just like a week later, a crowd yelling, crucify him. All right? And I, I think it, it is a bit of a tricky thing, and that's why for this Palm Sunday, in light of what we've been going through, I want to keep reading. Because I think it gives us a bit of insight, and we Luke, we t- so we continue reading in Luke. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and circle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple but the leading priests the teachers of the religious law and other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him but they couldn't think of nothing because of all, cuz all the people hung on every word he said so Jesus comes to Jerusalem he comes to announce good news to the people of the city right even though he has he's pretty sure that they won't hear him that's why he wept right but Jesus was going there because he knew he had to get, put the choice before them, to ask them, will you be my disciples, will you follow me, or will you be my executioner? See, up until now, as we said, Jesus had prim- primarily been working out the side of the city. And while he'd been in Jerusalem before, this was different, right? Jesus had been gathering followers and supporters of mainly common people. And while he was doing that, He had been alienating and angering the religious leaders over and over again. They tried to trap him. They tried to make him say something, right, that would discredit him. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were the two primary religious sects, sects, um, expressed great frustration with Jesus' teachings. And it's important to remember this, because as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's entering their home turf. Out in the countryside, there would be one or two religious leaders, maybe a handful here and there, scattered. But largely, it was common people. But in Jerusalem, this, this is where they were on mass. This is where they hung out. This is where they had Bible colleges upon Bible colleges of a sort, Right? Jesus went, into, went to Jerusalem to put people specifically to the, the religious leaders that were in the place to say yes or no, whether they were going to accept him and his teachings. And I don't think Jesus made it easy, right, to say no or to say yes. That's why I think under tying the, the, the triumph, so Jesus walks into Jerusalem under fanfare. The people are basically spreading. Shouting out what the religious leaders considered blasphemy, Play, praise to Jesus on the highest. They're like, only God deserves that kind of credit. You need to tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the stones will. He's he's kind of picking a fight. And then he goes into the temple, right, their sacred place, and he starts driving out the moneylenders. Which, those people, I know we want to give them a hard time, but they actually made it possible for the sacrificial system to continue. So, it was impossible. So, when Jesus drives out the the money lenders, he's saying no to the sacrificial system. Because the people needed to come. They needed to change money uh, to be proper, to to change from Roman currency to Jewish currency. They needed the proper animals in order to... uh, to sacrifice and atone for their sin. These, these merchants, these money lenders, were a necessary part of the religious system for it to continue as it was. And Jesus comes in and just kind of throws it all out. He made it difficult for the religious leaders to say yes. Which is what he'd been doing the entire time. He'd been offering something new. Jesus said a few times in his ministry, you've heard it said, but now I say unto you. Right? I like the the story in Matthew 9 because I think this sums up what Jesus was doing. Jesus replied, do wedding guests, when he's he's confronting you about why your disciples are behaving differently, why are they not fasting? So Matthew 9, Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, Who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. The new wine is stored in new wineskins, so that both are preserved. So Jesus was coming, and he was offering what I think we could call new wine. And the old wineskins, the religious system that was there, couldn't handle it. They were afraid of Jesus because they knew that what he was offering was going to destroy everything they held sacred. This, and prequel, this isn't something that just happened once. This is something that happens again and again, and we'll get to that. But the religious leaders were, were afraid of Jesus. And so this crowd that often, I've heard it said that the crowd that, that once praised Jesus and then turned on him and yelled to crucify him, we often, they're often called fickle and changing with the pressures. But I think when you, when you read the text, you come, there's a slightly different conclusion that I come to. See, because when Judas decides to betray Jesus, the Pharisees give him the instructions to watch for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when the crowd wasn't present. See, I don't think the same crowd shouted the praise of Jesus one day and then yelled to crucify him a short time later. The fact that he's in Jerusalem, he's in the place where there's loads of religious leaders who have control over the situation. See, they actually looked for a time when he was alone, without the people, without his followers. And they took, it, they took that moment and then they shifted the crowd They gathered the religious leaders to fill up the space and they are the ones who cried for his crucifixion. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who were afraid that their religious system was under attack. They were afraid that their wineskins were going to be destroyed by the new wine that Jesus was offering. It's a different crowd. The powerful religious leaders on home turf turf, made a move, right? They made a move to take Jesus away from the people who loved him and to defend their old wineskins. And these old wineskins, the, the, the religious systems that they had constructed, these weren't constructed, they weren't meant to be oppressive, right? The religious leaders actually were decent people. Which is something, we, it's easy. We want to paint them with a brush that says they're all a bunch of idiots uh, who obviously missed the point. But I think that's unfair. The religious leaders actually meant well. They thought they were doing what was right. They were convinced that if Jesus knew wine was going to destroy the system, that it would actually end in the destruction of people. They were scared. I think some of them were scared, of course, because in this, new, if a new system came along, they would lose power and authority. I'm sure there were some, some people in that. But I think the reality is, is the religious leaders built a religious system from experience and good intention. And as Jesus came, they saw something that was going to destroy that. And so they made, went out of their way to make sure that they would destroy the source of the new wine. Prior to coming to Royal City, I, I worked primarily in youth ministry. So, um, and I feel like I came across this, this same struggle on a fairly regular basis. I, parents and pastors um, are the religious leaders for a lot of youth. For young people. And when young people start to develop their faith, I know I went through this, and I'm sure many of you went through this, we question, uh, we come up with ideas that are sometimes quite different than the people before us. We, We have different convictions because of the culture we live in. And I don't think parents and pastors do this deliberately, but there's a reality that they behave like the religious leaders. That instead of helping a student develop new wineskins, they try to change the wine. They try to convince them that what they're thinking and what they're doing is wrong, because in order for that to exist, it would disrupt how I function, how I believe. And as I was, I used to come down quite hard on this. To be like this is this is a moronic way of thinking. You have to let young people work out their own faith. This is a reality. And I realize that as I get older, I also catch myself doing this. Not too long ago, um, well, a long time ago, actually, no. As a, personally, for myself, I was as a high school student. I was I had an interest in military history. I grew up in North Bay, and there's a mili- an air base there, and so lots of military history all around me. I found it quite intriguing. And in that, I thought that pacifism, as a Christian belief, was absolutely ridiculous at the time. like The reality is that sometimes you just need to hit someone, is what I thought, okay? And I was convinced. Uh, I probably would have been a uh, proponent of just war theory, even though I don't think I would have had the language for it at the time. Um, and, but I had a youth leader later in my, my high school time that, um, that was a hardcore pacifist, right? And he regularly tried to argue my faith into his system. Now, I never responded well to that. I don't know if you guys have found yourself in a similar situation, but the harder he pushed, the harder I was just like, no. And if you don't stop, I'm going to hit you because I know you won't hit back, right? That was just the reality of it. But years passed. The relationship, we're we're still connected, but we don't really talk about that kind of thing. But as my own faith grew and developed, I also found myself leaning towards pacifism. As I followed Jesus, as I was just like, oh, my word, as someone willingly walks to their death, even in the midst of great violence, I don't know how I do that. Um, I don't know how I follow the Jesus, uh, that Jesus, into uh, into violence. I I think a great one is how do you how do you hit? How do you love your enemy that you're in the midst of hitting? I just don't understand it. At this point in my life, would have argued it differently then. But years pass now, and I'm in a, a situation where i've got i'm working with a young person who is in the midst of working out their own faith and they tell me that they want to be in the military and off the cuff i say well you can't do that and follow jesus which is just an absolutely moronic thing to say you know that that would be i couldn't have followed jesus into the military but to tell someone else in the midst of, as they work out their faith, in the midst of this, like, new wine that they're developing, I'm just like, well, that doesn't fit my wineskin, so... out it goes. His convictions and faith didn't, didn't jive with me, mine. And all of this in the moment, it all happened so fast, I didn't even realize what was happening. I said it, I moved on, I was just like, ah, that's nice. Anyways, we had a fun conversation about the military. Not too, long, not too long later, I realized that he had actually joined the military and gone off to be in the Navy. Awesome. Then now I realize what I have just said. I just told him that you cannot have faith in Jesus and go do what you feel like you're being called to do. And that whole conversation comes rushing back to me I had become the religious leader in his life. I had been so intent on preserving my own system, my own wineskins, that I tried to destroy his wine. I wish in that moment that I had read or thought of Psalm 139, which we read this morning. Where is it? Uh, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Now I might, I don't think I could join the military, but I know that God is with that young man in the military now. I wish I had had the wisdom in that moment to think of my faith differently. I wish I had encouraged him to be the light wherever he found himself, but I didn't. And I wonder it makes me wonder how often I have unwittingly behaved like the religious leaders. How I have tried to alter the wine of faith in other people's lives in order to preserve my own old wineskins. I wish I'd been able to celebrate and praise Jesus as he walked into the city instead of planning to kill his presence. Hmm. Jesus is... It's pretty hard on the religious leaders throughout, right? He calls them a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. And largely because of this, not because he disagreed with them, but because they didn't have room for a new way of being. But Jesus didn't give up hope on them, which is helpful for me. There's this line, Matthew 13, 52, Jesus added this this note to a list of parables, he said, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth, as well as old. So I don't think, Jesus isn't here to destroy the old wineskins all the time. But he is challenging us to make room for people to have different wineskins than we have. Last week, Kevin talked about uh, posture, how right belief doesn't help us, right? Having right theology is a lot harder than it sounds. But having a posture of love is something that we can lean into, something we can hope to obtain. And I think this is, as we look at this triumphal entry in light of this journey through the stations of the cross, when we look at the triumphal entry, the question is are we going to be the religious leaders who plot, plot, plot to kill the presence of Jesus, or are we going to be the people who celebrate a new way of living? Are we going to be people who put our faith in a religious system, or who are put our faith in Jesus? Is our certainty, our faith, is it found in a religious system that one day will burst and fade away? Or is it found in the Creator made flesh, in Jesus? And I don't don't know the answer for you. I know for myself it's a struggle because I like things the way I like them. And it would be much easier if everybody just had a faith that looked like mine. And we'd get along swimmingly. And what a wretched place that would be. (laughs) Right? As we think about God entering the city I hope that we can be a community of people who say blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest instead of people who scream for the crucifixion of the presence of Jesus when it doesn't look and behave the way we want it to is that, is that a fair hope for us? Let's just, uh, I'll just pray and then we can we can go. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather. Thank you that um, you are present with us. Just ask us to just ask that you give us the eyes to see and ears to hear your message in this world. That we wouldn't be always convinced that it's what we think we've heard or that it's totally dependent on our, the system and the way of understanding that we've built up. Help us to understand how you're working anew and afresh amongst us. Give us wisdom to read and understand your word well and to learn and figure out what it means for our present day and age. Thank you for what you've given us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Go in the peace and grace of our Lord Jesus.